In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here. That you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today's Gospel from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 6, tells us some, I suppose, images and aphorisms that our Lord wants us to anchor in our mind, in our heart, because they they represent the character of his followers, of what he expects his followers to become, the virtues that he wants you and I to acquire. And what he says in today's gospel, or perhaps you could describe it like that, a series of aphorisms, sayings, that are not simply what we have to do or what we're meant to do, but the kind of man that you are not, you and I are meant to become the kind of person, both inwardly and outwardly. And he says, uh, with with this powerful imagery, really, it's it's among the most powerful images that he uses. He told his disciples this par- a parable: Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? No disciple is superior to the teacher, but when fully trained, every disciple will be like his teacher. See, it's, a, it's like another aphorism, the, the blind, the teacher. The... Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove that splinter in your eye when you do not even notice the wooden beam in your own eye? You hypocrite! Remove the wooden beam from your eye first, then you will see clearly to remove the splinter in your brother's eye. Of course, the issue really is one of character, and the commitments that issue forth from our actions. So it's really very essential as we do our prayer here this afternoon that we seek now in our prayer, in our, in our desire in front of our Lord who is here present to destroy any minimal possibility of hypocrisy in our life. Because people like trees, well, they are known by the fruits that they produce. And though Jesus uses all these metaphors and these, these, these sayings, he's really distinguishing between, you could say, two kind of people. Some are blind, some are blind, they're hypocritical, they produce evil fruit, they hear without acting, and they build without a foundation. They are based on externals. Others produce good fruit. They hear, they act, they build on a good foundation, on rock. And and as we hear these words of our Lord and the power of His words, 
the danger is that we not really let ourselves be transformed by the words of the gospel. That we're not transformed inside and outside. Maybe we could be externally transformed or look good, but not internally. That I not really let myself be changed internally. That I'd be comfortable in some way with a mere thin veneer of religiosity. If I'm happy with a mere thin veneer of religiosity, of looking by wearing something that looks religious or, or by knowing how to act religious or even using the right vocabulary, it, okay, that's, that's external. But it doesn't mean that I've actually been transformed from within. Jesus really demands a consistency here of goodness between the outside well, and the outside. There has to be consistency. There has to be a deep unity. As soon as we allow for a lack of unity between what's going on in the inside, how our thoughts are going, how our mind is going, and how our externals are, are expressing that, as soon as there's a, a distinction between the two, there's a lack of unity, we begin to break down. And we're always in the danger of, of a lack of unity there. That's why we really need now, as we begin this new academic year, a true transformation. We ask this of our Lord, that He give us that grace. And the first, the first um, prerequisite for that transformation to take place, that is, for us to have that transformation of unity between what's going on inside and what's going on outside as followers of Christ, built on rock, not blind, the first prerequisite would be to have a deep self-knowledge. It's the, the first thing. And you're, you're coming here to study, and you can, you can study all kinds of interesting things in engineering or in the arts or economics or what have you. Imagine you studied all these things, and then you never really got to know yourself deeply. Because as long as we're ignorant of our own defects, of our own real nature, of, of our deepest defects, our attachments, our hang-ups, then all our endeavors, however laudable they may be, then any effect, any sort of attempt to overcome our defects will end in failure. If I don't even know what my dominant defect is, And uh, not infrequently, we, we meet people who, while they're sincerely bent on reforming themselves and, and changing, they're, they're merely kind of going after imaginary faults of theirs. They're fighting against windmills and leaving their real defects untouched. That's why we need spiritual direction. You know, somebody who can... Who can help us through the clouds, right? Uh, of our own lack of, our own blindness. When we end up being blind, leading the blind. And that's why the first vision we need so that we not be blind is the nature of our own wretchedness. Our own, you call it that, dominant defects. Those character flaws. Maybe we haven't even been fighting against them. We haven't even considered them. 
be good to ask in ourselves if our Lord speaks about the blind leading the blind you know you know in what way am I blind this phrase I found out the blind leading the blind they both fall into the pit that's it's not actually a phrase I mean, it's a, our Lord said it but it, it had antiquity like it, it probably co- goes back to somebody like Aristotle but it was a known aphorism in the time but when he's using blind he refers to those on the one hand who lack faith but especially those who lack insight meaning they don't know themselves meaning they're not open to that insight that can be given to somebody who has true humility and that's why you know it suggests we need good guidance trustworthy guidance insightful guidance and uh, somebody who can really help us. Otherwise, you know, you know, I don't know if all of you have your G1 or your G2 or whatever, but the one thing they always teach you when you're learning to drive is the blind spot. You got to watch for the blind spot. You know, you can watch, you can see a car like, like way ahead of you, just barely. But what's the good of seeing that perfectly if you don't see a guy that's right next to you, right, in your blind spot? I don't know why it's, you know, you look in your mirror, it looks like there's nobody there, but he's right there. Mirror says there's nobody, but he's right there because he's just at an angle where the mirror doesn't pick him up. And you think, I'm fine, I'm fine. I can go into the right lane, no problem. And then, boom, you get uh, hit. Because because you're going into the blind spot. And some people would just they drive blithely away unaware of their blind spot is it possible that I have a blind spot about my defects is it possible and uh, Jesus suggests that our own failings they really darken our perceptions in much the same way that they just stay hidden and like, like our faults stay in a kind of a blind spot And as a result, we can end up having very faulty judgments of others. Yesterday, the Lord spoke about, judge not and you will not be judged. He's very severe against us judging others. And it can happen that we have very faulty judgment of others and then become oblivious to our own murky perceptions of them. I mean, that, that image... Now, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and you don't even see the beam? I mean, it's a powerful image. Like you see a little speck, but you don't see that you have this beam sticking out. I mean, it's it's an image. It's meant to to make us see that we don't see our own limitations, but we have this proclivity to criticize other, others, maybe to gossip about others, and we all have this innate ability to see problems, to focus in on weaknesses. And yet, rarely really to understand others. That's, that's seeing the speck, our, our Lord says here. How can you say to your brother, let me remove this splinter in your eye, or the speck in your eye, when you don't even know this beam? And we, it, we could say that. It's like a favorite pastime of most human beings is to criticize others. It's a, it's a good pastime, Right? Uh, we, uh, we think it's it's a it's a fun pastime. We kind of delight. We delight in pointing out the shortcomings, 
the moral failings, the annoying tendencies of our neighbors. There's just something like, yes, it's like it's appealing. Why? Why is it appealing to us? Well, no doubt it's it's due to pride, it's due to egotism. The more I put somebody else down, the more I somehow feel elevated. That's something, I don't know, it has something to do with that. And, uh, you know, it's, they say, I think this is an Arabic saying, I'm not sure if it's Arabic, but apparently it's Arabic. It says that it is easier to see a black bug on a black stone on a black rug than for a proud person to see his defects in the light of day. Imagine seeing a black bug on a black stone on a black rug. I mean, it's impossible. You can't see it. You know? But it's easier to see that than for a proud man to see his defects. And we must see where this proclivity in us um, appears in our day. When, when we're bothered, when we're bothered by the sins of others, their actions, their words. At the same time, when you and I are annoyed by somebody, it happens, this person has this defect or that defect, and maybe they're very real. It's, an, it's really a magnificent opportunity for, for us to turn the mirror on ourselves. Why am I bothered by this guy? He said that. Why, am I, why, does, this, why does this get on my nerves? Hmm? Well, usually it means that there's something in me that I haven't picked up yet. We have to, that's a very good thing. Why do I find this guy so annoying? Why does he get on my nerves? Why does this gall me? Well, the Lord wants us to find this similar failing in ourselves. If I'm irritated, it is surely a sign that, that this thing is in me as well. I think it was Bishop Robert Barron who re- remembers a retreat director who was asking each of the participants to call to mind a person that they, find, that they found hard to take and then to recount in detail the characteristics that made this person so obnoxious to them. And then he recommended that each one go into their room and ask God to forgive the same defects or the same faults in, in ourselves, in that person, in, in We ourselves. I find this galling, I find that galling, I found this difficult. Now forgive me, Lord, for all those things. That's a great exercise because it does require humility. It does require us to see the beam in our eye. The log. And uh, we can ask this of our our Lord because it will require a great act of humility. And to be critical, to be judging, to be unkind like that is really, is really something that we can ask our Lord now to somehow dissipate in our life so that it not be part of our life. I read recently a passage from Frederick Faber. Frederick Faber is a 19th century divine. He was like a priest who had converted in the 1840s. He was a contemporary of Cardinal Newman. And uh, he wrote, you know, very poetic books, uh, long-winded, rather long-winded, but uh, 
but uh, beautifully poetic. And he, he spoke about how unkind it is, especially when we don't prop up others with our words of encouragement and our words of, uh, let's say, warmth. You know, like just as criticism is an attack against others, the opposite would be to prop them up, to give them kind words. And instead of doing that, we are critical. He said in his 19th century style, he said, Alas, how many noble hearts have sunk under this not ignoble weariness? How many plans for God's glory have fallen to the ground which a bright look or a kind eye would have propped up. But either because we were busy with our own work and never looked at that of others, or because we were jealous and looked coldly and spoke critically, we have not come with this facile secure to the rescue. Not so much of our brother as our dearest Lord himself. How many institutions for the comfort of the poor or the saving of souls have languished more for want of approbation than of money? As though sympathy is so cheap, the lone priest has struggled on, struggled on till his solitude, his weariness, and his lack of sympathy have almost blamelessly given way beneath the burden and the wolves have rushed in upon that little nook of his master's sheepfold, which he had so lovingly portioned off as his own peculiar work. Oh, what a wretched thing it is to be unkind. It's a wretched thing indeed. It's a wretched thing to criticize. It's a wretched thing to judge. Have I been like that? A kind of a wolf? We all need kind words. We all need words of praise. We all need words of encouragement. And we mustn't think that we're oblivious to this. That we don't care about criticism received from others. He said, some people try to do without praise. And then they grow moody and critical which shows that their grace was not adequate for their attempt. They, they try to do without praise, but they go moody and critical. Some others do without praise because they are all for God. But it would not occupy us long to take the census of that portion of the world's population. <laughs> There's not many of those you know, in the world's population of those who can cannot do without praise for long. Most men must have praise, he says. Their fountains run up without it. Everyone in authority knows this well enough. He has to, leave, he has to learn to praise without seeming to praise. Perhaps I have, I have not really learned to, to that delicate art of praise without seeming to praise. It's a, it's a beautiful art. Right? The delicate art of praise without seeming to praise. We don't have to say, oh, you're the greatest. You're amazing. You're fantastic. Well, like, like whoa, whoa, you know. That would not be, like that 
that would seem strange. You know? Or maybe we fall into the, the habit of teasing others and maybe not sensing their displeasure at, at being teased. We might do it to get a laugh, like in the get-together or something, but we will not have noticed the wrinkles on their brow. We're not sensitive to enough. Some people have no problems with being teased, so it's fine. But others do, they, they're delicate. So we should, we should want to really help others to cross the finish line, so to speak. Even if we lose, help others, praise others. Kind words, not judge, not, not be critical. It's a great task ahead of us. I heard a story of a, of a Kenyan runner whose name was Abel Mutai. And he was on some major, uh, like a marathon of some kind, and he was only a few meters from the finish line. And as he was running, he got confused with the signs, and he stopped because he thought that the race was over. And all the indications were in Spanish, and um, behind him was a, a Spanish man whose name was Ivan Fernandez, who was right behind him, and realizing that he'd gotten confused, he told this Kenyan guy, keep running, keep running, you got to cross the finish line. And this, they were competing, right? And he didn't understand what he was saying. The, the Kenyan guy heard the Spanish guy saying, you know, go, go. And, uh, and so in the end, Fernandez actually pushed him across the finish line, right? physically. And so the Kenyan guy finally won. But he had to push him because he was confused. He didn't, I don't know how he could not see the finish line, but he got confused. And later on, uh, a reporter asked this fellow, Ivan, he said, why did you push him across? Like, why did you do that? And he said, my dream is that one day we can have some sort of community life where we push ourselves and help each other to win. He says, yeah, but why did you help the Kenyan to win? He says, I didn't let him win. He was going to win. He had already basically run, won the race, he said. He said, but you, you could have won. You could have just crossed ahead of him. He was confused. You could just take an advantage and won. The reporter said, you know, he says, but what merit, he said, would my victory really have had if I would have taken advantage? What honor would there have been in that medal? What would my mother have thought? He said, the values are transmitted from generation to generation. What values do we teach our children? when we inspire others uh, to earn. If we take advantage of other people's weaknesses instead of strengthening them, you know, what are we really transmitting? It's, it's good for us to think of this so that we, you know, we not overly compete, uh, that we seek to help others be better in some way not necessarily in the marathon race, but in some way. You know, our Lord said, stop judging and you will not be judged. Stop condemning and you will not be condemned. And for that we need self-knowledge. 
and a better, deeper knowledge of ourselves, really. And there is a form of self-deceit that is expressed in how we judge. There are people who are, who are always sure that they are in the right. They are always sure that they're in the right. And they set themselves up in some way as a standard by which to judge others. But they're always convinced that they are right. And um, we know we're not angels, but we could spend a whole day judging others. And we could not even realize it. For some, the exception would be when they're not judging, because it would be so unusual for them not to judge. Frederick Weber says, it is astonishing how accurate their unfavorable judgments of others are. It is as if the practice conferred a skill upon uncharitableness, which gave it almost the unerring, unerringness of science. Do you have that skill? What's well, a bad skill to have? I hope you don't have that skill. The skill of always being unfavorable in your judgment. They say the world is bad. Uh, uh, they like to prophesy about negative things, dismal things. They like to frighten others with their sarcasm and their dis- detraction. You know, to be critical is so unpleasant. It really destroys our influence on others. It disables our apostolate, our evangelization efforts. He who is critical is necessarily unpersuasive. Necessarily unpersuasive. We like to find fault with ourselves, but we're never attracted to another man who finds fault. It's not attractive to talk to a guy who finds fault with you all the time. So let us resolve in our prayer today not to criticize others. It's just too easy. But let's see where it happens. Maybe I'm not even aware of where it's happening. Because it just happens so easily. St. Josemaria said in the way, to criticize, to destroy, is not difficult. Any unskilled laborer knows how to drive his pick into the noble and finely hewn stone of a cathedral. To construct that, it was, that is what requires the skill of a master. To construct. Maybe we can ask uh, our our blessed Lord for that grace. And uh, it's the first sign of a humble soul. I want to be a humble soul, Lord. And the first sign is the absence of critical spirit. The absence of critical spirit. In fact, one sign of pride is somebody who's frequently internally critical, even if they're not saying it outward. They're just all going on their mind and criticizing. And it's it's a very good thing to bring to confession. It's a very good thing. Today, Lord, you know, we say in confession, when we go to confession, Lord, I criticized interiorly, without saying interiorly, I thought this guy, this guy, that guy, you know, 
Let's catch ourselves when we when we say that, when we do that. You know, let's be slow to judge. Everybody has their things, everybody has their issues. There's lots of things we don't know about others. And it will put us sort of much more in the same race, pushing others across the finish line. That's what we want to do. Help others across the finish line like that runner did. Her Blessed Mother will intercede for us. Uh, she, she is our mother and she will grant us that humility not to judge, to see the speck and help others, yes, but also know ourselves, know our defects, and be guided by this desire to help others to sanctity. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.